0: Well, good morning. i only a couple of minutes late, which is not bad. Hi, guys. How is everyone? Can I get an audio check? Check, 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 check. Mr. Simpson, welcome. Henry, welcome aboard. Henry says, are the old guys having trouble with computers? Oh, you're in for it, man. (laughs) Carl, how are you? Can I get a, a audio and video report from the from the field? According to uh, the YouTube, we are live. We have 7 13 concurrent viewers. Audio good from Carl. Thank you, Thomas. Robert, welcome. Brian, John. Excellent. Well, yeah, there were a few technical issues this morning. Nothing major. Uh, got it all tuned up. Yearn for a treat. Hey, Carl, how are you? Thank you for your questions. So uh, we'll be taking questions from the chat. We also have some questions that came in via uh, message. Uh, <laughs> number 13, excellent. Uh, that's lucky. So uh, welcome. It's New Hampshire. It's overcast. Uh, temperature is 44 degrees, and uh, we're generating about 5 kilowatts of uh, solar electric, and the truck is plugged in. I know some of you are worried about that, and I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I I can't wait for you to listen to those guys, too. (laughs) They are actually here. They're they're actually in the outer room having uh, green M&Ms. It was in their contract. They had to have a bowl of green M&M's and they're sitting next to eating them. So uh, we'll bring them in in a couple of minutes. Uh, usually we allow five minutes for everybody to file in, but it looks like you guys were uh, in the waiting room. So we'll get going pretty quick. Uh, we have some future stuff coming where we'll review the uh, Instagram posts for the week. I realized that not everybody who shows up on YouTube is on Instagram. so. Uh, we'll do that next week we're not going to do that now but I have been doing some lapping in the shop and just getting used to uh, that process and we'll be talking about lapping today Uh, we'll be uh, answering questions we had we got some really cool questions about various things which these guys do not expect they have not been briefed and if you have questions once we get rolling here put your questions in the chat and uh, I will do my very best to uh, to make sure we cover those. Okay? Are there any any questions or issues that don't have anything to do with our guests today? Let's let's talk about that now, and we'll get that out of the way because they're still yeah they're still eating green M&Ms over there. So, you guys have enough M&Ms? You're okay, Robin. Hair and makeup—it happens all the time. These these guys, the talent. <laughs> okay, so what are you guys up to today? Let's get some uh, let's get some temperature reports from you, and then we'll get underway. I know you're you're all excited. Um, we had we had flurries like. 24 hours ago, and it's like 44 degrees right now. So I think what we're going to do. Brian reports 50 degrees in Northeast Ohio. I just posted a picture on Facebook. Uh, that's looking good. Yeah, no, no, the light, the light's good. Turn the light on, Robin. Yeah, turn the desk light on. Yes. Don't change a thing. We love it. Okay, good. (laughs) The green M&Ms are still, uh, still lasting. Eight degrees centigrade in Saarland, Germany. Welcome. CJ Stevens reports, 50 and sunny in East Tennessee. Robert Simpson, just north of Detroit, 49 degrees Fahrenheit. Brian says, shop organizing again, still and forever. It does not end. So uh, with that, I want to introduce you to our guests today. Uh, They need no introduction, but I'll still introduce them. Let's just bring them in and uh, see if this thing works. Sleeping Saloon says it's 64 degrees in Louisiana. Very nice. Excellent. You guys out of uh, green M&M's? I think they're out of green M&M's, so let's bring them in. Please welcome uh, Tom Lipton and Robin Renzetti. Hi, hey guys. Hey. Hey.
1: Hi, I'm Robin Renzetti, and I like pina coladas <laughs> and dancing in the rain. So.
2: <laughs> there we go.
0: There we go. I'm looking, Got a, hey, I'm looking for my Zoom meeting here.
2: <laughs> can, can you hear the audio? Yeah, I can hear the audio. I. I went to the um, actual uh, YouTube, and that's uh, that's out of sync. So,
0: oh yeah, you get you definitely have to be on the Zoom meeting.
2: Yep. Yeah. Uh,
0: so uh, though, for those of you who don't know, uh, Mr. Tom Lipton is a uh, the superintendent of machinists at the uh, Berkeley National Laboratory.
1: Yeah, that's not exactly accurate. So I fig-
0: I figured I'd create an error, and then we'd we would fix the error.
1: Okay, we we can. We can talk about that. So, uh, yeah. Okay,
0: so uh,
1: a so lot of people get that wrong, so uh, that's what they think I do there. So.
0: Okay, well, well, we'll fix that. Um, in fact, why don't Tom? Why don't you take this uh, time to introduce yourself and, and give us your uh, credentials and your social security
1: credentials? Numbers. I, I don't have any credentials other than I've made a lot of mistakes. So uh, and I'm old. So. Uh, <laughs> But that's how you learn this stuff by making mistakes right so uh, and uh, but uh, to correct you I don't um, supervise all the uh, machinists at Lawrence Berkeley lab. I am in charge of what's called a technical group and um, the technical group is all the mechanical technicians. So these are the uh, boys and girls that uh, um, Fulfill all the scientific uh, program needs. So they assemble equipment, vacuum systems, optical systems, high voltage systems, things like that and um uh, and they do some of them do a little bit of machining and uh but uh, yeah, these are mechanical technicians. The machinists are separate at the lab. So it's a separate classification. They're they're actually kind of confined to one building uh which is our main fabrication facility which is you know, I don't know 300,000 square feet of, uh, machine tools and machinists and and every tool that you can possibly imagine uh, times two. (laughs) Wow. uh, Yeah.
0: And is it true that you know how to run all of them?
1: No, absolutely (laughs) not. So, uh, no, most of the, most of the people that I supervise are better at their jobs than, than I am. So, uh, 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 you know, I just give them what they need and kind of get out of their way. Right. And uh, that's uh, usually the best recipe. So. Out-
0: outstanding. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Robin, uh, give us a quick introduction, although I don't think you need an introduction, but there are probably new people here today.
2: Um, well, it's an honor to be on with Tom Lipton and you guys should know that, uh, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't even be on Instagram or YouTube so his uh his few comments on uh about um, needing to give back to the um vocation that he enjoyed so much and has been so good to him that that struck a note and um that's why I started YouTube and Instagram and before that uh, I was like Instagram I ah, forget that stuff you know <laughs> I didn't need to go on there and uh so yeah, he was the first uh machining channel that I went on to that caught my caught my attention. And um I I, I liked what he was doing there. And I said, Oh, okay, this is probably where I should be.
0: That's hmm. a great that's a great story. I had no idea that uh that he was the impetus for that.
2: Yep.
1: That's pretty cool. I, I yeah, I think I had a I had a video kind of where I talked about that a little bit and um <laughs> And, uh, you know, that was kind of what was instilled in me by my mentors. Right. And, um, that, you know, we're just kind of renting this knowledge, right. Uh, while we're here on the planet. Right. And, um, you know, part of your responsibility is to, is to teach other people, right. You know, if you can. And, uh, and it's certainly, uh, um, I mean those, my mentors certainly, uh, Took the time to answer my stupid questions and uh, comment on what I was working on and how I might do it better, <laughs> in their own their own special way, <laughs> for, for a lot of a lot of cases, right? And um, and uh, so I, you know, kind of uh, formulated my career around around trying to give back when I can, right? And uh, and uh, teach people and share what I know, right? As uh, if I don't, it just dies with me. So uh, that's no good.
0: So, Robin, uh, you're in Pennsylvania. Yes. And uh, you're mm-hmm. currently,
2: like, doing consulting? Is that the correct uh, description? Um, my, my, uh, my path was an um, apprenticeship at a general job shop that was extremely rewarding. Um, lots of variety of work. And then I uh, ended up at a, a place that was starting to make diamond rolls. So my entire business, uh, actual money making business of machining has been involved in that particular area precision spindles and tooling for that type of stuff. Um, and that's where the requirement for high precision came in also, because a lot of that work requires, you know, sub tenth. Uh, work. And, um, yeah, that's that's the general path. So, I've had basically the same, uh, when I started, it was with Mr. Dunnington, uh, co-inventor of DuPont, explosively formed Diamond. Um, he was the owner of Dunnington Company, and then it went through, uh, actually it was Glenel then, and then um, it went through a gazillion different things. It's now owned by 3M, and it's a division of, uh, I think, um, uh, Winter Tour, uh, the, that's what uh, 3M bought. So, they've been a customer uh, all that time and been my primary um, primary source of income.
0: That's That's awesome yeah well, thank you for uh, sharing that warren jones who's local to me says thanks to robin and tom i have taken that same attitude toward teaching and mentoring and it has made a difference that's fantastic yeah. nice to uh, hear henry uh, in germany says i like this mentality in germany many people have a mindset that they would rather not share their knowledge because someone else might be better than them
2: <laughs> there's uh, there's lots of people yeah, that are better like than it. us <laughs>
0: yeah exactly right
1: but if you know you know it that, that that feedback mechanism is important in your learning right and um you know i've seen a lot of machinists that have you know adversarial relationships with inspectors right and um um and this is a this is a bad attitude right Th- these people actually make you better right and uh, for the most part, and because uh, if you can't measure your output, you don't even know what you're doing, right? And uh, so uh, that's an important. So it, being open about uh, you know the, the flaws or the the attributes of your work, right, is uh, is important. So
0: yeah, I, I I like the community we have because when when we discover new ways of doing things, uh, or we 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 fix a problem we'd like to you know quickly crank out a video and say hey i just figured out that you know this or that and and every, and it shares uh, the knowledge with everybody and i think that's a fantastic way to way to do it so but, uh, you know
1: that uh, i just want i just want to say something real quick there the uh, about the community right is uh uh that the community certainly keeps me going uh uh doing this stuff um uh, you know and sharing that uh, online right and i think we're extremely lucky that the uh, the machining community on on youtube and instagram is for the most part really great folks right and um you know, when you compare it to some of the other, uh, genres, right. That, uh, that you can possibly get into. Right. And, um, uh, um, sure there's, you know, there's some, you know, negative comments here and there. Right. But for the most part, you know, I'd say the bulk is, uh, is pretty positive and, um, you get to meet people like Robin and Spencer and Tom and, uh, and, uh, andy and carl and you know all, all these uh, all these different people right that you never would have met um if you hadn't like dipped your toe into the into the water right so uh thank you guys for that so uh for being part of this great community so
0: uh john says my audio seems low like zoom is taking the audio yep. from the camera not the usb is my audio low
2: not on my end.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Is it lower now? <laughs> okay, uh, we're gonna live with it. I think I, I think I see what you're saying, but yeah, we're good. Carl says amen to Tom. Uh, oh,
2: thanks, Carl. So,
0: what? Um, let me, let me kick this off with. Uh, tell a brief story about. A, a recent young uh, apprentice that you have helped out without obviously without identifying, you know, names, uh, whoever has the first story, let it rip. hm
1: Good question. Um, I think I told the story about the, uh, the, uh, the Russian, uh, guy. I, I can't think of his name right now. And, uh, he wanted a, uh, oh what did, he wanted a sticker or something like that uh I, I can't quite even remember the the circumstances of it but uh, um it, it's a, a young a young person in uh, in russia and uh, he had you know watched tons and tons of youtube machining videos right and uh, he reached out to me and said you know hey thanks for the videos you know um i was a computer programmer and um um, you know, not very happy in my career. Right. And uh, so started buying equipment and, you know, outfitting his I don't know, a back bedroom or a basement or something like that. Right. And, and got into machining. Right. And, uh, you know, had been doing that for one to two years, something like that. Anyway, the guy kind of bullshitted his way into a, uh, into a job um at, at a local machine shop right and said oh yeah i've been i've been machining for a couple of years right he kind of he kind of bent the truth a little bit right and uh uh well the guy gave him a job and apparently he's still there so um uh, anyway he reached out to me to to thank me uh, you know for kind of you know doing whatever it is that he thought i did uh, to help him right and uh and uh, into, into finagling his way into a shop. Right. But he was very grateful. And, uh, you know, he wanted a, an autograph or a sticker or something. I can't quite remember what it was. And he told me a story and I just thought it was so great that, uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do even better. I said, I'm going, I'm going to send you a copy of my book. That's autographed. Right. And, uh, and, uh, but here, but here's what you got to do for me. Right. And I said, you got to hold, you got to uh, get send me a picture of you holding up the book in front of some, you know, famous uh, communist uh, landmark or something like that. Right. You know, just just for fun. Right. <laughs> and uh, so he did. Right. And here's here's this poor guy. Right. It's the middle of winter, you know, and this river that's a mile wide. Right. Uh, you know, it's frozen solid. He's standing there, you know, crunched up, holding the book. Right. And his girlfriend takes a picture of the him and the Joseph Stalin, you know, Memorial bridge in the background, right. Or whatever it was. Right. You know, and he sends me the picture and I'm like, you know, it's great. Right. And, uh, um, and, you know, I I haven't talked to him in a while, but, uh, I think he's still, he's still working as a machinist and, and enjoying it. Right. So, uh, I don't know that that's, one of one of my recent stories, and uh, that uh, I, I just like that story. So
0: <laughs> that's pretty cool. Very, uh, uh, and your reach around the globe is pretty obvious there. How about you, Robin?
2: <laughs> Mine's the exact opposite. The the reach is is out the door to the to the garage, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> the only the only person that I have any actual uh, shoulder rubbing with relative to machining in person is my son. Uh, who, oddly enough it, uh, didn't really have any interest in machining still isn't like in love with machining but he, he likes what he's doing he likes it he, he's he's actually warmed up to um uh, enjoying what he's doing a lot of it was he just felt frustrated because you know hey dad hey dad hey dad hey dad and just felt like he was more of a burden than a help hmm. and um and now he's at the point where i can give him something and turn him loose practically on just about anything and with very minimal guidance but the real the real um treasure of all this and if I can do this without getting choked up is um obviously when I'm there I'm 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 giving him all I've got phd level why is why am I telling you to do this what's the mechanics this is why I want you to understand so you're not just following the rules I want you to get this first principle to what's going on well, that has turned into everything in life. He realizes it, like just in the kitchen, how th- how you cut things, all everything. When you start thinking like an engineer, and just get, get enough of it in your brain, you can't turn it off. You know, everything is a mechanical issue whatever you're working on. So, just seeing that, and hmm. and he he gets a lot of joy out of that. He just seeing that spark. He's like, Dad, uh, I've been here too long because I can't can't turn it off. So, <laughs> really, really. Uh, that's really great to see
0: that's pretty neat yeah uh my kids go ahead tom
1: no i was gonna say i can see you're real proud of them and that's uh that's pretty cool getting to work with your uh with your son and uh, and you can see his development too right so uh like first you know bravo yeah yeah
0: yeah my son is is uh all about the computer right now right so i have not he's he sits next to the machine shop he could do go in there and learn anything and do anything but i haven't quite attracted him to that but work on the computer build a computer computer the computer he's like he's all <laughs> yeah he's all about yeah. that right now he's on it huh uh well cool that's cool let's um Let's kick off a couple of questions we have from the group. So I, I had asked for folks to send questions in, and um, this will just get us rolling here uh, and and see what we got. Uh, I'll do these in chronological order for no apparent reason. Uh, Mr. Carl Tauber, who is actually in the chat right now, uh, sent in 12 paragraphs of questions, which I appreciate, Carl. <laughs> uh, we had... <laughs> There are members of our community that uh, enjoy the detail. I will point that out. So uh, basically, yes. Carl, uh, he call, uh, He said that um, there was a, you made the, this is, everybody's going to answer this, but Robin, you made the uh, repeat meter uh, analog, the Renzetto, the Renzetto meter, um, and you ground the feet to have deliberately sharp edges, whereas uh, in other cases where we make feet, like carbide feet, some people will chamfer those edges. And Carl asks, uh, it's a departure from, quote, good machining, close quote, to, to leave a sharp edge. And he would like to hear of other examples of of sharp edges that are left. He also points out that Adam, uh, Adam B, uh, did a cylinder square where he, he, chamfered the edges of the, of the cylinder square. So the, the basic question is, uh, when chamfer and when leave sharp. And in particular, he's talking about feet. So let's start with Robin.
2: Uh, the, the, my premise on feet for a surface plate, uh, is that, a chamfer is uh, a lead-in for particles to get pulled under. So, if you have a plate and you have ambient dust and all these things, if you have a dead sharp edge on your foot, which is dangerous, you have to be very careful about how you handle things, putting them on the plate. If you're sloppy and have these things, chamfer will still leave a you know chip the plate also, but the the sharp edge is is going to even be more so that but um, that dead sharp edge is a squeegee and um, basically ambient dust is just plowed out of the way because there's no guidance for it it can be argued 45 degrees isn't enough for it to actually it's not like a 10 degree wood where it's actually really guiding it to roll under but um, that's my premise for that in general measuring feet on a surface plate bed sharp so that they uh, don't do that but um, you'd have to be careful and so Technique for that is always having a, a ledge that's close to that. So when you put it down, you can put a, lo- a linear edge down, then slowly rock it down to the one edges, the, the leading edges of the two front feet hit, and then rock down to the other foot type thing, and just to be careful with it. But um, that's the premise.
0: Uh, so you're basically saying it, it a chamfer has the potential of uh, allowing grit to get under it as you move it.
2: Yes, and remember that grit's very small. We're talking about ambient dust that's falling all the time. As we all know, you clean your service plate, you wipe it off. Oh, dead smooth. Three seconds later, you wipe your hand over it, and there's there's stuff on it. So um, yeah. it, it, you just have to consider the fact that the plate is always dirty, and um, you want it dry. The, the good part, why you want it clean and dry, is that there's no tackiness holding that dust to the plate. So if you have a plate that's not clean and has hand prints and hand oil and all that, you're inviting you're inviting things to cling and get pulled under, even with sharp edges. So that that would be my premise on on why to do that.
1: So let me just add to that a little bit in that, uh, for you know, the majority of kind of average surface plate work. This is probably a uh, um, um, I wouldn't call it overkill, but you would never notice it. OK, but once you start dropping down in full sub 10th and into the micro inch range or whatever, everything counts and uh, and dust particles, thumbprints, anything. Right. And that's the challenge at that level is to get any kind of consistency. You just have to eliminate as many variables as possible. Right. And uh, temperature you know it's just it's it's rubberville right and uh and uh and you know particles of dust and cat hair are you know enough
0: to uh to really screw with your uh your your operations so as as i've been playing with some of the you know micron-ish things and smaller uh i've been thinking about making a, a plexiglass shield that's kind of portable uh, that you could put your hands around. But quite frankly, you know, humans are pretty dirty at the micron level. And we were dropping dust and skin cells and hair and crap. So when we're working over that, you know, that critical work, I was thinking that it would be kind of a good idea to have a plexiglass shield that you can put over that. And also that would serve to to help with some thermals. Do you have any thoughts on that? Tom.
1: Yeah. Um no, I mean it's uh, uh it would certainly help, right? It's uh, the challenge there is uh, um you know access to your tools and and things like that, right? Um you know, for example, if you had a whole bunch of uh, a single type of measurement to do, right? Uh where you could kind of set it up and uh and then cover it for as much as you could so that you could still access the things yeah but a general purpose solution seems kind of uh would be challenging i think so um, um you know unless you want to create a clean room uh and then wear a bunny suit and do that whole thing right which we have those kinds of arrangements at, at the lab right and uh for Uh, clean and particle free assembly right you know some of these uh, detectors and vacuum systems and whatnot you know one a a fraction of a thumbprint is enough to uh, uh, contaminate a vacuum system right or a a very very special uh, mirror or something like that so in fact there's a there's one mirror uh, that uh, um it's a monochromator mirror right and these are made out of uh out of silicon right and they have very very specific curvatures to them that are you know pretty crazily toleranced in the but uh somebody was uh and this is a very long time ago uh they were measuring it or doing something and somebody sneezed in the room or something and uh and then they saw some stuff on the mirror right and um um but the 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 tolerances and the uh, and the the quality of the surface is such that you can't even touch it right uh with anything and um so they and it was in an area of the mirror that you know was wasn't as important as the primary area right so they they just left it so to this day i guess uh you know it's got a nickname like the Snot Mirror or something. I can't remember what it is, but uh, uh, they left these little uh, sneezed particles on there, and uh, and uh, that was a, I, I've never seen them, but uh, I, I've heard the story several times.
0: Serves them right. It'll affect science for the next fifty years.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a gauge block comparator station will typically have a small uh plexiglass Lexan plate in front of it, just to keep the breath from blowing onto the to, to the comparator station.
1: Hmm. I
0: try not to if, eat, if, uh, eat. I try not to eat chili before we do any of those uh, very fine measurements.
2: Yeah.
1: So uh, in uh, one of Robin's videos, he does a, an excellent demonstration about uh, just how sensitive this this stuff is, uh, and this is how Robin and I got to know each other, right. Is he, he, uh, I was fiddling around with an old Pratt and Whitney level. Right. And, uh, and he's, he reached out and said, Hey, uh, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be willing to, uh, to scrape, grind and scrape this thing for you if you want. Right. And, uh, throw it up on video and I go twist my arm. Right. And so I sent it to him and, uh, and he was fooling around with it and, uh, uh, um, (laughs) he, he got more than he bargained for a little bit because I, I guess there was a there was a, some corrosion in the in the base of the thing that uh, that uh, opened up. And, and he's like, oh, boy, here we go. Right. And but he, anyway, he uh, he persevered and, and finished it. But uh, towards the end of the video, he does a demonstration where he's inspecting the thing. Right. And uh, he's basically just blowing on this thing and then dribbling a little bit of alcohol on it here and there. Right. And you watch his. uh uh, the, uh, the measuring instrument just go, you know, it's just going all over the place, right? Actually, I don't, I don't quite remember. Did you just put your hand close to it or did you breathe on it? I can't quite remember what you did, but uh, it's a just a really great empirical demonstration of just how fussy these things are right and
0: um um but that that was a very early uh that was a very early uh robin video right
2: yeah
1: well uh, robin's got a lot of videos right and uh and he was doing videos well before this one and um this particular video that we're talking about here and um where uh, modifying calipers, he's got a little helicopter thing he's messing around with. And then um, let's see the Oh, you're uh, the super hot whammy Kelvin connectors, which is a really good video series of videos. So uh, hmm. um, so if you guys haven't, you know, so many people are they just watch the new video, right? The and there's just there's treasure in the archives. Okay, literally, right. Every video I've ever put up on YouTube is still there. Right. And I'm I'm sure Robin is the same way. Right. And, um, um, you know, instead of just waiting for the new one, people there, there's some really good stuff to mine that, Hey, maybe at the time that that wasn't in your wheelhouse, but now it is. Right. And, um, so your circumstances change. So it's, it's good to go back and look at those,
0: uh, uh, once in a while. Absolutely. Good stuff. One of the reasons we came over here to YouTube for these for these things was uh, because Instagram was. I, I challenge you to go find some of the old Instagram videos. It is the user interface is, is horrible, and we wanted it yeah, to be. Yeah, it's hard. We wanted it to be permanent and accessible. Um, let's see. Here's. Did a good we one. answer
1: Carl's question? I don't know.
0: I think so, we did. Uh, yeah. Carl, do we? You have the opportunity to tell us whether we answered your question or not, because you're here, and that's why you show up to these things. We'll find out. Uh, so, on the topic of the chamfer versus the sharp, I have some tooling on the on the uh, for the grinder, some tool holding, and I did the same thing. I leave it dead sharp, and it is sharp, and I've cut myself on it, so it just shows you. Carl says, I think Robin had the gain cranked up on his brown and sharp electronic indicator, and was able to detect his hand nearby. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think
2: I I don't remember, remember exactly, but I think I just hovered my finger over it and just let the radiant heat of my fingertip warm the top surface of the level uh, or the actual base of the level. But there's a, it's cantilevered where there's the shorter section where the actual level vials on, and then the longer base. And I had the indicator out on that longer base basically where it could arc down from expanding basically bimetallic strip effect
1: oh Um, right yeah
2: which should be which should be in everybody's mind just every time you're thinking about thermal you're just thinking the hot side's going to get longer and it's going to curve because of that and um you know that's the mechanics you need to keep it pictured but yeah i was just holding my finger over it not even uh, touching and then um after it went down you know multiple micro inches the one way then I brought it back by just putting alcohol on and let the alcohol the, the cooling effect of the alcohol evaporating uh, bring it back the other direction
1: so a f- funny footnote on that uh, on that level Robin is uh, um, I don't know before I before I moved I, uh, I went to uh, admire your scraping work uh, and pull that level out and take a look at it right? And, um, the, uh, the vial had burst and, uh, yeah, the level vial had burst. It got too hot or I, you know, I don't, I don't quite know what happened to it. And, uh, but I looked and the, and the thing's blown up and, uh, and I'm like, oh, shoot. Right. And, uh, so I took it apart and then, um, uh, of course, you know, that lead that that's like the opening to a rabbit hole. Right. And, uh, so I start. You know, oh well, let's see. Uh, can I buy a replacement vial? What can I do, right? And then, hey, well, why don't I make one, right? Oh, how do you? So how do you grind the inside of it? You know, and then off you go, right? You start <laughs> uh, looking at all this, and uh, and I built some tooling to uh, to uh, lap the idea of the uh, uh, of the glass vial and control the curvature on the inside, and I bought some. Some uh, small bore gauges so I could reach in inside there to evaluate the uh, the curvature as well, but uh, I haven't gotten around to. um, I haven't gotten around to making one yet and uh, that and then that led me into well if i'm going to make a level. What I'd really want to make is one of those, uh, the fell types, the spherical yeah. types, right? <laughs> yeah. Because this is just a natural output of lapping, right? And uh, is creating a spherical surface, right? And uh, so anyway, I started, you know, penciling and designing a little bit on that, right? So, but I haven't done either one yet, so... <laughs> so. This is well, a uh, thought exercise at this point. I, I hope
0: you're videoing all the all this uh, vile stuff that you're doing. That's V-I- yeah, you know, it's V I A L, not V I L E. I'm just Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> I mean I, you know, like Robin, I don't video everything, right? A lot of this is is you don't know what the heck you're doing anyway, so you gotta think about it while you're doing it, right? And then and then you you do something and then you, you do a little checking, you know, one thing leads to another. Honestly, I don't think it's very interesting video. Right. And, uh, watching an old guy scratch his head and go, oh, why did you do that? Right. And, uh, um, and, uh, or wow, that didn't work. And, um, um, but I don't know, I guess some people like that stuff. So <laughs> no, it's
0: Well, uh, this is apropos. We got a question here from Bernardo, uh, who spells his username BE12Nardo. I don't understand, but it's okay. I don't have to. Question for Rob and Tom. How often do they get into rabbit holes? I.e., making a tool to make a tool. I think we just answered that. But, Robin, what's your favorite rabbit hole story from recently?
2: Um... The lapping this, lapping this surface plate, and um, having a standard autocollimator mirror system, uh, meaning just a normal uh, three three foot uh, three three feet and a and a mirror, um, and realizing that that's not the hottest setup. So I, I have a video where I did the um, corner corner mirror, rotatable corner mirror. Mm-hmm. And um, the other adjustable uh, mirror. So that was a really fun rabbit hole. And that was one that I just, you know, conquered. Um, and um, that, but that was to really actually cure an issue. Unless you have a, a particular style of autocollimator where you, the autocollimator stability relative to the plate isn't important. And there are that type. But a standard autocollimator, it has to be, it cannot move from whatever orientation it's on while you're doing readings. So it almost pretty much has to be on the plate. And even putting a smaller plate on a larger plate and putting an autocollimator on there, what kind of feet do you have on the on the plate? Because unless they're s- steel, unless they have a large enough bearing area, you're going to get hertzian def- deformation. The plate's going to tilt, even though you say, oh, it's, you know, it's solid material, well, all um so that corner mirror lets you put an autocollimator on the plate and shoot three legs of a corner all in one setting just by turning the corner mirror so that was a real fun project to kind of reinvent Hmm. um the thing and uh, i think somewhat unique in the sense that um i made it such that the foot of the um sled could go underneath the corner mirror and be directly under its pivot point. And that makes mm-hmm. sure that your three corner points actually are the same point, which technically, according to the specs, the actual federal thing is a requirement. But I've never seen anybody do it <laughs> because yeah. they never have that point actually match. And that's what that accomplished was allowing that yeah. to uh, to happen.
1: Yeah, that's a good example, because, I, you know, I, I know a What went through your head is like, oh, I got this nice piece of granite. I'm going to get my cast iron plates out and uh, and lap it and uh, do a little inspecting. And then as you as you get into it, you start to see what's going on. Right. And then imagine the tools you need to uh, to make it the way you want. Right. So, uh,
0: yeah tools a, to make tools to make tools to make tools it, no, no, that's, it's
1: that's another the game we're in yeah.
2: yeah it's another thing um uh some people might call it arrogance but i'm always thinking i can design a better tool not, not, only because of god-given abilities not because mm-hmm. anything special but i can design a better tool 99 yeah. percent of the time if because you put more thought into it. i might think about some of these things for months mm-hmm. and uh, wake up in the middle of the night and be awake for two hours thinking on something and just your mind, just mind's constantly churning on that. And then you get an idea and you think, oh, this is perfect. And then you, you go lay it out in SolidWorks and say, oh, it's not quite so perfect. And then you let it sit and you come back with something totally better yet again. So, but if you
0: were a tooling company like uh, a Mitu Toyo or a Starrett and you were going to make a tool that that was that good, you would have to recover all the costs of the time and the brain power and the sure. the, the knowledge so it would become ridiculously yeah. expensive and that's that's
2: how uh, that that's for the people...
1: uh oh, go ahead go ahead ron
2: i'm saying that more for uh, people's attitude of mm. have an attitude of just because this was the wing ding thing that's great you know it has always been all the you know this is the revered whatever it probably needs a redesign. It, 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 there's, it, if you really want to get technical about it, there's probably a better a way to make a better one, uh, a simpler one, uh, a more accurate one. Um, and it, it's, uh, I think having that mindset, at least looking for that, not like you have to make every tool and have to conquer everything. And it's not like a, every tool that I do isn't a copy of something else. But always looking for a refinement that makes it nicer to use or whatever and there's lots of little things like that that turn up if you if your wheels are always churning for that yeah
1: it's uh it you know you you touched on something there that um uh, uh, that i wanted to comment on is this uh to me i call it a marinating process or a percolating process right and um Robin mentioned, it is, you know, you're working on a problem, right? And maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, you know, I don't know what. Right. And um, um, you know, if you're under some time constraint, right? Um, like, OK, I got to have an answer by tomorrow morning. Right. OK. You're pretty much going to take the first decent solution uh, to the problem and just go with that. Right. Now, if, if you don't have those constraints, right? What I tend to do, and it sounds like Robin is very similar in that in that respect, is is you go, okay, well, what's a good way to do this, right? And so you think of an idea, and and you kind of it's like a coat, you kind of put it on and you try it on for size and see how it fits, and uh, you know what that seems kind of not where I want it to be. You know, how could I do this a little bit better, right? But it, it's not something that you're actively doing. Right. So you might get off of that project and go on to something else. But in, in my case, my subconscious is working on that problem. Right. Somehow. Right. And and at the at the weirdest times, you know, you're reaching into a drawer to pull something out and you see something in the drawer and you go, oh, oh, my God, there's my answer. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, and then you, then bam, now you're back to that problem. Right. And you're, you're on to something or maybe you have a, a, a new area to explore with that problem, right? And, uh, and I can't control it. And I doubt Robin can control it. It just happens, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, but your brain is kind of chewing on it in the background or marinating, as I call it. And, uh, but you're also, um, I certainly am, am constantly gathering information, right? You know, a lot of times when I uh, when I uh, am stuck on a problem or whatever, I'll just go to the hardware store and walk around. Right. And uh, with with no agenda. Right. I'm just going to walk around the hardware store and look at stuff with open eyes. Right. And um, um, and many times you you'll go, oh, well, there's a that's an interesting latch. And, uh, and then one thing leads to another to another to another, right? And then now you, you know, you're, you're on to something, right? But you, you know, guys like us that are interested in in this kind of work, and that's kind of our careers, right? We're, we're constantly, constantly gathering pollen or fluff from the, (laughs) from our environment, Mm -hmm. right? That's adding to our understanding of the of the world right and uh and then um um and then connecting that back to the the problems that we're working on is this kind of weird magical process right that uh, um i don't i don't know if it's teachable or you know we can describe it but i i certainly can't turn it on and off it just happens right so would you does it sound like what happens with you robin
2: yeah very very similar, and. I, 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 both of i think both of us would agree um we've had a long 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 time of designing a huge amount of stuff and that mental condition that mental uh muscle memory uh mental uh, paths that you develop you just keep getting better and better at it and that's and right. there's things there that are formed that you things just boom, boom boom you know come to your mind because you've done the simple stuff just you know flows easy. It's the tough stuff that you slow down. Exactly. On. And and yeah. um, that's just because we have both been very blessed to have avenues to be able to do that, and 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 have the the chance to get paid to think like that. But both of yeah. us, even if we weren't getting paid, we'd still be doing it <laughs> because we just love it and. It, it's, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So
0: Adam uh, Adam Balog uh, is in the chat, and he says, uh, "Tom, he remembers you brought in some leather mats for garden pots that you found at the hardware store, but turned out to be perfect substrates for metal polishing."
1: Yeah, that's a that's a funny story, right? Um, uh, Adam, let's see. I can't I can't remember what he was doing. He was uh, oh, you know what? He was doing a uh, metallography samples, right? And um, so prior to etching the uh the samples right you need a you need kind of a high finish on them to uh, uh for the etching to do what you needed to do right and um uh, and you know this is kind of i don't know or er, fairly early and in, in when i kind of got in the rabbit hole of lapping right and um, and i was you know experimenting and playing around in the shop right and um uh, and, and by the way that's one of the allures of lapping is the surface finishes that you can produce right it's just like nothing else that you can do right and uh it's it's pretty cool that way but anyway uh he came or he was showing me some samples and uh of what he was doing and and he was having a hard time getting that high finish and uh um and I bought these uh they were cork with a leather facing and they were to put planters on or something like that. They were at Home Depot and, uh, but they were really uniform thickness and, and, you know, reasonably flat themselves. Right. But when you charge them with, uh, some, uh, one or two or three micron diamond, they actually would produce these really, really high finishes. Now, not good geometry, but, uh, uh, excellent finishes. Right. And, uh, So he came over to my shop and uh, I said, Here, try one of these, right? And he's like, Oh my God, right? And he ran (laughs) off and he did his metallography samples. And I guess, you know, he can confirm. I don't know if they came out or not. I'm pretty sure they did. But it was one of these just weird, weird things, right?
0: That's awesome. Uh, Kevin uh, Blodgett, a regular here, says, Do you guys keep a sketchbook or similar for your design thoughts? We'll start with Robin.
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll do some sketches. Um, and, but usually once I've sketched enough to get the concept in mind, um, I can just think about it. I, I my 3d perception, probably most people's 3d perception is good enough to, it's just like working with solid works in your head. Uh, as far as being able to picture the, the parts meeting together and all that. Um, I think Tom would say the same thing when you've done enough of it, that stuff just becomes second nature. Picturing it, yes. SolidWorks, uh, CAD helps when you need to put numbers on it. That the sketches help you get your mind engaged. Something might be complicated on how it goes together. You know, more intricate mechanisms might uh, need a couple sketches to kind of guide your mind to keep it straight on what you're trying to do. But um, yes.
1: What about you, Tom? So, yeah. So, uh, you know. My career started out, and I think Robbins did too, is kind of pre-CAD, right? Uh, pre-electronic CAD, I should say. Yeah. And uh, so we were hatched on, uh, on a drafting board, although I never had a drafting board. It was always just a, a pad of paper or whatever, right? Um, but in the early or the late 80s or whatever, I started keeping laboratory notebooks, right, of all my kind of personal explorations and rabbit holes literally right and um uh, so i have actually quite a few of them and um and you know they bounce around and there's uh, they're full of, of little concept sketches but at some point you depart from uh pencil and paper or pen and paper or whatever and you, you actually have actually complicated things to to work out the relationships of right and um and spacings and you know, and and arcs and movements and things like that that are that are a little tricky to do in your head right i mean you can see them working in your head but uh when you start you know when you have multiple pivots for example it's kind of hard to imagine those uh this kind of arcs that those things take and whatnot and so you kind of go to cat but um i uh i personally you know i have kind of uh i guess a a, a bias that way a little bit in that uh um people tend to jump on the computer too quickly i think uh, because it forces this artificial precision at too early of a stage right Um, you really need to to work in the silly putty uh uh, in the in the sandbox a little bit before you get to the computer right because as soon as you draw a line in the computer it says how long and what diameter circle and You know, how far is it from this? Is it tangent to that or what, you know, whatever, right? So it, it it forces you when you're scribbling in the sandbox or on paper or whatever, those things are kind of meaningless when you're kind of working out the, uh, you know, nothing's to scale. You're just kind of, it, they're literally doodles, right? But your brain is working out all those, those kind of interactions and relationships and, And then when you get, you know, typically a design, any design, there's some uh, lower threshold. There's the smallest shaft or the smallest bearing or the ball or whatever that that is the bottom end of the design, right? And, uh, or it's a a bottle that we're going to be moving down a conveyor, right? So there's some key element in a design, right? Maybe it's the mirror on the mirror sled or the uh, the size of the surface plate or, uh, you know, there's something that defines the the local size of the design. Right. And that's kind of where you start. Right. And, um, um, you know, in. Designing from the inside out is, uh, you know, from that kind of smallest regime, the smallest piece of the design right outwards. Right. I, I see people going the other direction and they get to the interior of their design and now they need a a a, bear, a tiny little instrument bearing that holds 5,000 pounds right and it just doesn't exist well, right you, and
0: uh, you just described my entire career in antenna consulting I get I get these calls like they're they're about to push the the, the manufacturing button and they're like oh I got this call. Can you put an antenna here? I'm like, okay. How much volume is that? Oh, it's like five cubic millimeters. You, you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> like,
1: You'll be fine, right? You'll be fine. <laughs> right. Exactly, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah, space-constrained designs are probably the, the trickiest, right? And um, um, I'd have to say that... Uh, um, you know, I tip my hat to the watchmakers and uh, and and that whole genre of uh, of uh, of work. Right? It's extremely impressive what they do. Right? And uh, um, the small scale of the parts. The um, and, and once again, everything kind of counts. Right? All those little edges rubbing, little pivots rubbing on one another, and gear mm-hmm. teeth rubbing on one another, and all that all affect the the overall performance of that and there's a lot of parts
0: in a watch right so mm-hmm.
1: that's uh that's some pretty impressive work
0: right so carl uh points out in the chat he says uh it's a uh, uh, it's a gift some of us can't picture stuff mentally and i think i think there are people that have a hard time building a mechanism in their head right and and spinning it around like i i'm saying these words and you guys know exactly what i'm talking about but i think there are people that don't that think differently, like maybe mm-hmm. they deal with. They could look at a table of numbers and see stuff that we'll mm-hmm. we don't, we don't see. But it, sure, oh yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of three D, like you're talking about the watchmakers. Can you imagine? I mean, just coming up with some of those complications.
1: Well, it's uh, you know, Robin points out too. It, it's, it's kind of like exercise, and the more you do it, the better you get at it, or the stronger you get at it, right? And, mm. uh, you know, I was looking for something uh, just the other night in my old pile of sketches. Right. And, uh, and literally there's 50 pounds of eight and a half by 11 paper, right. That can constitutes, you know, all you know, these shop sketches and calculations and, and pieces and bits of machines and requests from customers and, and things like that. Right. And, uh, you know, that's just the paper part of it. Right. And uh, uh, so I don't know. Robin and I have seen a lot of brackets. I guess is how you, I would put it, right? And, <laughs> you know, we're we're uh, uh, bracket senseis, right? You know, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs>
0: that's a lot of brackets.
1: That's a lot of brackets, right? And uh, it's. Uh, um, you know that's the joke, right? You you run on of names for parts, right? And uh, yeah. it's uh, well, I guess it's another bracket, right? So.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, here's a question from the uh, from the messaging. Uh, this is also from Carl. Carl is our shill today, by the way. Yeah, sounds like it. He says, and this is a long question. He says a question for Tom about the intaglio press. Uh-huh. That he was building, uh, the pressure required of the impression roller, the rubber roller that drives the paper into the printing platen—I um, think I caught a error there—is on the order of three hundred pounds per inch of length. Since the impression pressure governs the efficiency of ink transfer, did I mention that Carl is into details? Uh, any deflection of the press under load will show in the print. How does Tom plan to achieve the stiffness required of the press frame without enormous mass? Well, so that's a good question. So he's got a couple of
1: details uh, incorrect. Okay. So um, uh, the rolls are not rubber covered, they're solid steel. Okay. And um, so in the case of the, the press that I'm working on, they're eight inches in diameter by 48 inch width working area. OK, so hmm. the deflection is low. OK, now it, there, there's deflection, certainly, um, but uh, it's fairly low. Now, the other part of how intaglio works is. So you have two rolls that uh, are basically uh, 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 drawing the work through, right? And um, and they apply pressure, but they apply pressure to the the etching plate through a wool blanket, so which acts like a um, um, yeah, like an equalizer. Yeah. Like an equalizer or it it distributes that load uh, um, um, more uniformly, I guess. Um, And uh, so there's some squish and in that. Okay. There's some squish in that. And you use different pressures depending on what the uh, um, uh, what kind of plate or what kind of printing that you're doing. Right. And, uh, and then it, it transfers that ink to the, the paper, which is wetted. The paper wetted. So it's also kind of squishy and soft, too. Hmm. Right. So it's a it's kind of an interesting process. In, uh, and this is how uh, U.S. currency is made with this very similar process. Um, but wait, it, wait
0: uh, a minute. Wait a minute. I think I see where you're going with this. Is this another well, income oh yeah, stream a, for you?
1: Yeah, right. I'm going to print money. (laughs) Yeah, I found some. uh, I found some old throwaway uh, 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 dies from uh, the U.S. Mint. Right? (laughs) No, no, not the case. So it's so honestly, it's actually a fairly forgiving process, right? In um, um, in in that respect, right? But to to support those roles and. um and get the styling that I that I that I wanted uh, uh the frame is actually fairly massive so the the total weight of the thing when it's completed is roughly 3500 pounds so wow it's a machine tool basically is what it is right yeah. so uh, um anyway I hope that answers this question but uh, um, Adam
0: B this, says this is. This is how they've been made for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? So, uh, yeah. Adam B says my retirement plan is to make a rose engine to engine turn printing plates and have Tom start printing off counterfeit greenbacks. There we go. And right. with and with that, we are now being monitored. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tom, have you used your penny laps? Oh, the penny laps! I remember you made the uh, the the copper penny yeah. laps, right? Have you used uh, it in they, any practical application?
1: No, uh, because that uh, uh, was a fun exercise, right? And uh, but uh, the um, so that was kind of some ideas that were borrowed from the telescope making community, where they have these kind of segmented laps and um, um, and you know people. I, I made some solid copper laps too, right? And um, and they're wonderful for putting a, a really good finish on things and and producing good geometry, right? Uh, they they don't stay in uh, um, in shape very long. They uh, they tend to go away pretty quick, but they, they do produce really high finishes um, quite easily. And the penny lap was an alternate, you know, I'm always uh, like Robin, I'm like, okay, well, gee, you know, uh, a a chunk of one inch thick copper, eight inches in diameter, right? That's kind of a pricey piece of material, right? It certainly is right now, right? So, you know, my cheapskate brain says, well, what's another way you could do that, right? And, uh, you know, kind of pie in the sky, right? And uh, that you might be able to to do that and, and get a decent result, right? and the penny lap was a kind of a exploration into that. Have I used them? Yeah, not really. They, uh, um, they, they have a lot of, uh, um, you know, because they're curved, the, the pennies are curved, right? There's a lot of converging gaps, right. That tend to snag the, when you try to, to clean them and, and whatnot, they, uh, they snag the, uh, the Kim wipes or whatever you're wiping them with. And, uh, and you know, so it, it's not perfect, right? It's it's a it was an experiment,
0: right? So, so not, well, not everything we do is awesome, okay? So <laughs> <laughs> only the stuff we publish. Um, yeah, so a, while we're on the topic of laps, uh, Robin and I chatted months ago, and I was making these uh-huh. round laps, and Robin said, uh, "Hey," he said, "right? Correct me if I'm wrong." Uh, put a, 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 terminate all your grooves into this one peripheral trough so that you don't waste all of your hard-earned uh, slurry. And I've been doing that. And with my limited experience, because I, I am but a student here, uh, it seems to be doing what it's supposed to do. It seems to be good. And, and uh, I will point out that I know of at least two people who have already made laps using that idea, and they're playing with it. So we got a bunch of bunch of lapping happening now, Robin, <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, I think we're starting to see well, some some success.
1: So no, that's a that's a good design feature, and it also uh, um, it protects those uh, the ends of this of the slurry slots too, right? It's it's like a little wall that protects the end of those when they when they when they come off at of the edge of the plate you basically have a fish hook almost right and uh, mm. th- uh, in some areas on the plate right it's a really unfavorable uh, uh, edge and uh, so terminating them in a circular groove like that is actually a, a nice way to do that and and you you know get to mop up your uh, your diamond slurry or whatever that's', uh, that's running around so yeah. so a uh, question for it's, Robin
0: uh, what do you do for, or how often, what triggers you to clean, to literally go and soap and water clean your lap before continuing?
2: Uh, one one comment before that. The one most handiest thing that I do to my laps that I haven't seen any way you guys do yet is the groove, the middle groove, like my toolmaker's uh, uh, flats, where you can get your fingers in. So instead of having to do right, this yeah. six-inch grip on top, Having that lip, and yep. if you're getting down to the nitty gritty, that's where you can do a 3D printed hollow ring so that you're grabbing onto a plastic ring, not conducting heat into the the piece, mm-hmm. uh, and to handle your laps.
0: And, and so, in the interest of full disclosure, you told me to do that, and I didn't do that because uh, I ran out of time and energy. Lathe. Energy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, that's a so. That's a good idea, and I have been thinking about the three D, uh, the three D printed covers, and I'm probably going to do that pretty soon. Um, so go, uh, back to my question is when okay. what triggers you? And I'm again I'm experiencing this, and I'm seeing, okay, I'm I'm getting all the black sludge now, uh, that's building up because I have some some material coming off. What triggers you to go into a cleaning cycle?
2: Uh. When that gets to be obnoxious, <laughs> um, keep yeah. keep in mind that um, with the way that I lap, that bottom lap always stays on the bottom, N- not necessarily for conditioning purposes. It might need to go on top to change the curvature of the of the uh, lap. But in use, it's it's always on the bottom. Uh, therefore, everything stays in that and and, and doesn't trip out. But um, most of what I do, I'm not creating a ton of swarf because I've ground it pretty close where I'm only taking a tenth or so off to two tenths, maybe of lapping. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so like when I do uh, you've seen me do those uh, go no go keyway gauges where I got a whole slew of these like half by inch and a half various thickness metric, you know, plus and minus gauges. I, I do a whole set of those and never clean the lap. Now, I will I will be I will be making trips with slurry. And because um, you really uh, this principle is easy, but this the subtlety of it is is tricky. You after a while you just know what's going on, you're reading, you're reading your bands and you say, OK, I need to go here um, and you make an adjustment there. Obviously, I don't have puddles of of uh, I don't let a puddle of in the moat around the lap. I don't let that get deep. I'll, I'll suck that all off with with, uh, you know, a, a paper towel. Um, but typically, I'm, I don't unless I have a scratch problem where I think I have contamination, I rarely actually wash the lap clean. I, I pretty much will just uh, carry on and and uh, now I might take WD-40 in a toothbrush and scrub everything out to the moat and suck the moat up. But I typically don't, you know, I, and I keep, I just keep them together. I'll put WD-40 between those two and those two stay together for life mm-hmm. and just go back and forth. And
0: Yeah. We had, uh, uh, one of our guys, uh, took his, uh, you saw this, you commented on this uh, yesterday, took his, uh, uh, flat stones and kissed, uh, the two laps and revealed the curvature of of the top lap and the bottom lap which i thought was a pretty good exercise just to show that it's there but then you piped up and said yeah but now you just compromised your stones because you know you, you got a yeah. diamond a diamond yeah. charged lap uh but that was uh, that was pretty interesting uh Paul mo-
2: remember remember on that that um all the the reason that the precision ground stones work is there is no Three abrasives available and the plateaus are big enough that you don't generate any between the two stones as soon as any particulate matter gets in between those two all bets are off that's no longer the case you're done yeah you're done so it doesn't matter if it's lumen oxide silicon carbide doesn't even have to be diamond as soon as you've got grit between those stones mm. god help you yeah it, it, You've ruined, you've ruined the magic of the stones. Now, yeah. is it going to totally trash them where they're not usable? You, you have to be pretty abusive to do that, but still yeah. just don't want that to happen.
0: Yeah, go clean them now. Uh, and Good luck. Uh, Paul says, I'm at least rinsing my laps after every use at the moment. Is that too much?
2: There's, this... there's no harm in scrubbing them clean all you want. It, yeah. It's not like I'm saying that it's better not to clean them. I'm just saying I don't find that I have to do a ton of cleaning um, another thing is realizing how little slurry you need so well, a lot of people probably if you're if you're not using pre-made slurry and you're using compound you're probably you know wasting a ton of compound because it takes very yeah. very little um, I mean I'm talking See. like a six inch lap I'm, I'm thinking you know six or eight drops is mm. enough to get swished yeah, around exactly. there and do the job and the the thing there is, you you if you do more than that, you risk getting into tumbling abrasion where you're really chewing the laps up. You're really they're really you know yeah. up with each other, and you need to keep that. Once you've got your laps are in a happy place, you need to be very careful to um, not disturb that by over you know using too much slurry, because um, that that'll that 'll chew things up quickly
0: now just to clarify Robin you're talking about diamonds a diamond slurry and uh, that's what I've been using it and, and learning on and uh, Tom I know you're a big fan of uh, you know some of the uh, uh, what is it called the uh... time saver time saver Yeah. Uh... Well, um...
1: No, let me let me correct that. Is uh, I'm a diamond guy too, okay? Uh, once you once you go diamond, you, you never go back, right? It's just so efficient <laughs> that you can't ignore it. The time saver is what I used to actually do make the laps when I did the you know the kind of the three plate thing with the laps, right? And, that was that uh, was to avoid
0: embedding. Uh, diamond because I wanted
1: to I wanted to use coarse and uh, a Mm. coarser abrasive and whatnot so uh, in you know and functionally it was just a demonstration to show that you can create a flat plane with nothing basically and just uh, uh, a a decent sequence uh, and observation right but no I use diamond on on all my laps right it's just it's so cheap and, and it works so well, but to Robin's point is, uh, when I was learning, right. Uh, the control of that film thickness was one of the big challenges. Right. And, uh, uh you can't, you know, Oh, the part's hard to move. It's sticking to the plate. I need more stuff in there. Right. Um, and you, you, there's a lot of variables that you're trying to control when you're, when you're learning. Right. And, uh, um so most beginners and and, you know i still consider myself kind of a just out of the beginner stage i guess and a little bit and uh is most people overdo it there's too much pressure and too much liquid or too much film thickness right so they get rolled edges and uh and they're using too much pressure so now they're uh they're creating lots of swarf that they have to clean off or it creates a a scum layer on the uh on the lap so you got to stop and clean it so just consider that part of your learning process right is uh, is that and um you know you, you see it in machinists too right uh Beginners, uh, they use a lot of cutting oil and uh, and uh, they they make a big, big mess, right? Mm-hmm. And the more advanced you get, the, the less you like to clean up and you, you just put the oil exactly where you need to put it to do the job, right? So you're using very small amounts of, of these things. Uh, the lapping is very similar that way in that uh, less is generally better. Less pressure and less stuff swimming around on your plate. Right.
0: So. Well, I, I'm definitely in the camp uh, or the in the condition of being the uh, the neophyte using too much slurry, probably, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hearing Robin say, you know, six drops. Uh, and I'm thinking back to what I've been putting on the plate. And I'm probably triple that, Um and I am so, seeing, yeah, it.
1: It, it depends. It depends what uh, compound you're using. Right. And uh, so I have some of the, uh, I don't know, Sandvik or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, they're like in a syringe. Right. And this mm-hmm. is a That's fairly high concentration. Yeah, it's like a paste. Right. And it's a fairly high concentration of diamond too. Right. So a cup, I mean, literally th- we're talking Uh, you know just tiniest little dabs on the plate and then you're um, you're diluting it with uh, uh, kingsford fluid or a a lapping uh, basically a lubricant right Uh, to get things to move around right and then the other one i use is there's a guy in Florida that sells these uh, uh, water-based emulsions with diamond in them that I actually really like, right? Because the cleanup is really easy. When you clean your plates and whatnot, it, it, it cleans up really easily. And it's got a decent diamond concentration in it, too. And and, uh, and they don't evaporate real fast. So that's another thing. Evaporation plays a part in all this, too, depending on what carrier you're using. So
0: so I, I've been using the High pres uh mm-hmm. liquid uh yep. and I, I've been doing three micron and I find that it does dry out that the the mm-hmm. water it's a water base with uh uh the water soluble? Yeah, water soluble. Yeah. And yeah. uh so I, I started playing around with adding a few drops of distilled water and Somebody had something negative to say about doing that. I don't remember what it was. Might have been. That was me. Good. Yeah. So so, <laughs> uh, that's what I, that's what I suspected. Could you repeat? <laughs> just repeat what that what your uh, uh, challenge was. Don't with do that. it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, the there there is there is magic to the to the carriers that these people are making. Right. They spent a lot of uh, engineering and chemistry and things to make these uh, things behave. A purchased slurry, whether it's water-based or oil-based, is going to outperform anything you do mixing compound and whatever you want. So
0: if I, if I feel it's getting dry, just add a couple of drops of, yes. of the the yeah, slurry. There's,
2: there's lubricant in there, and there's and and there's also rust preventative things. And remember, I, what I told you was that brown you're getting is the particles are rust. the, the particles you're removing are instantaneously rusting. Because you've thinned it down with water to the point where the the ah, uh, yeah. the the um, corrosion prevention stuff that's in there is gone, and you're getting instant you know rust of the particles. So you have hey, to, that orange sludge and.
0: Yep, and I will point out that when I when I did experiments with aluminum oxide, and I was using, I think I was using WD-40. Uh, if you go down to my shop right now and you look at those plates, there's a little rust on them. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it, it makes sense. Uh, okay. So I'm going to selfishly ask another lapping question. Um, <laughs> so uh, I could feel when it's floating on the liquid and then I could feel when it starts to suck down and... I don't want to use the word ring because that's not what it's doing, but it's hydraulically starting to really stick to the plate. How do I manage? How do I manage that? And is it when that starts happening? Is it because I've got I, I got to go clean my plates and start over, or how do I think about that? And I want to hear from both parties. Sure. So ideally, you're somewhere between
1: those two worlds right and um and uh when it starts ringing down hard to the plate you're probably too dry and uh and then when you're floating you're floating right and you're you're plowing a a wave in front of the the part right and it's rounding your edges and you're not producing good geometry right the sweet the sweet spot is in between those and you're managing that by um how much slurries on the plate, the the film thickness and uh, the stroke length, it, you know, a lot of things play into that. Mm-hmm. So
0: that's Rob, two cents worth. Robin, you want to weigh in on that?
2: Um, yeah, and and one uh, one thing that might, I, I, I may not have mentioned uh, relative to lapping. And that's when, like when I'm doing those keyway gauges uh, and you'll, you know, a lot of people say, what about figure eight? And I said, I don't like figure eight and, and I don't like yeah. it because you cannot control your, how you're orienting your piece. Half the mastery of that flat lapping is very, very precise pressure control. And one very important thing, single straight strokes in the long axis of the part. Okay. period. If you're going in orbits, I, yeah. I looked at your lap. Not being uh, nasty, but uh, looking at your your lapping that you had some examples of. Um, Spencer and I said he's probably going in some kind of orbit. He might not be doing figure eight, but he's doing in something where he's not controlling. There's there's a magic to getting getting just they're just the right pressure, traveling slow enough. In other words, if you go too fast, you're it doesn't matter what you do. Slow enough that you kill the hydrodynamic action between that and the grooves, where you're just getting a nice even drag. And when I do when I do a lap, I will I will use the lap full length. I'll start on one edge and I'll take a pass all the way across, whatever the part width is. Boom! I, I'm always going the entire surface. And then if I'm done and I need more, I'll take a look at it. Then i have done. I'll turn that lap 90 degrees because if you don't, you're going to end up with striations and things that. From that. That's how you get dead straight bands because you have to be actually controlling that. Mm-hmm. Plus, when you're doing those keyway gauges and things, you have to also do flatness, but size and mm-hmm. parallelism. So I go over to my my Heidenheim that reached to two millionths, my drop indicator style. Go over there, I survey what's going on. I know where I am size wise. Oh, I'm I'm fat here. when i'm on there i'm doing the exact same thing but i'm putting a little bit more finger pressure on the fat side Mm -hmm. i'm doing the same thing or i have to tilt it tilt it sideways and the same thing Mm -hmm. very very subtle but very slow deliberate strokes where the placement is you're doing this you're gonna play hell getting a a flatness Mm -hmm. um
0: You, you said something that was really interesting which was the speed uh, and I kind of imagined like a boat getting up on the step, right? You don't want that to happen. Exactly. That's interesting. Right. Um, so I, I want to add to what he said there too,
1: and because uh, he touched on something, and it's it, 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 I, it I, it's an important point. Is there is a particular drag that you're looking for, right? Yeah. And when you do a bunch of this, you'll feel a bunch of different drags. But there is what I would call the sweet spot in the drag. Right. When it's ringing down to the, you know, I'm going to call it ringing, but that's not the right term when it's sucking down to the plate. That drag is too high. Right. And then when you're floating on the film, that drag is too low. There is a particular drag and it's pretty hard to describe actually in words. Right. But Mm. it's between those two worlds. Right. And um, and and that drag part of that drag is developed by the speed that you're that you're that you're stroking the part. Right. And uh, but that once your 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 body is kind of calibrated to that that drag, you know, when you're in the zone, too. Right. It's it's not a particular feet per minute or 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 anything like that. Right. It's it's a feel. And that's one of the hard parts of this stuff. Is that a lot of this? There's a lot of variables, and there's a lot of really touchy-feely stuff, right? Like what Robin's saying is, when you're thick on one side or whatever, you're 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 leaning with that finger uh, just a little bit more on that side, right, to influence that side, right, and uh, at that particular drag and that particular speed, right? Does that make sense?
0: Yep i i i'm digging it uh yeah it makes me want to go downstairs and just start lapping um yeah exactly the, other, right.
2: <laughs> the other thing that can cause that stickiness is if you don't have enough slurry and it's not charged as soon as you start to get metal to metal with very little diamond you can get that effect mm. um, and you can actually get smears that occur if you get a smear on the part or on the lap that's definitely a sign of either you're not charging it well with your conditioning plate so I, I never i never put uh slurry on without taking the conditioning plate to it it's always the conditioning plate to get to get that stuff distributed and worked into the plate so uh so never
0: never put slurry on and then put the part down on it
2: never no, okay this, i mean these these are my rules but whether they're right or wrong i don't know they work for me but there, uh op, yeah there's lots of optical people that might say oh, you're full of it but um i'm just telling you what works works for me uh, um,
0: the results speak for themselves i i will uh, take it under advisement
2: what one other one other comment relative to that is um you did one uh off the cuff video where you were you were working the plates for i don't know 45 minutes or something one plate on the other oh that uh, was the uh, that was the initial uh, yeah initial yep yeah. right once once the plates are in the zone once w- once i've i've got the plates to where i'm getting um you know basically as flat as the as the optical flat is and once you get there it's like nirvana i mean there, there is something just awesome about it. you just feel like <laughs> i'm king of the world you know because I, I i've yeah. got to, i've conquered this beast um once you get there the amount the conditioning changes to maintain that you're paying very close attention you see the slightest curvature i'm talking about a you know a quarter of a band of curvature is is already well a lot that's only on those six inch plates that might only be like two circles with an inch overhang on there to change that shape we're not talking about diving around here forever now mm-hmm. this like i said this is you've already got them where it's flat but there now, this is very subtle, and this is like, oh, okay, that, well, that was a little too far. Flip them over, you know, mm-hmm. one orbit, and come back. And but you have to have it to where you're you you know you are capable of generating on that piece, whatever the lap is, that long straight strokes in in control. Um, yeah, that 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 it can't be overstressed how important the the. Um, how you press on the part and it's not just pressing down you have to if you're pushing on that part um, you have to realize that unless the part is only a millionth of an inch thick and you're pressing on the edge of it there's a huge moment load you're generating the thickness of your thumbs is where that pressure point is or whatever you're pressing you can't get rid of that moment load unless you literally take your hands and are torquing the part backwards so while I'm pressing when I'm going on a forward stroke I'm literally torquing that part countering that because there is a moment load that's taking that part that way no matter how hard you press down you have to actually be twerking it backwards one thing for like those laps or those uh gauges i make a like a plexiglass or lexan or you guys could 3d print them i make a nest where the part that's contacting the the actual the edge that's actually contacting the part is all the way down at plate level just enough that it's not rubbing the lap up top, I have two bands at 0.2236 in from the ends of the part. The, I got, the yeah, I, uniform, I've been it's uniform funny, distortion, right? I was yeah, thinking, I was yeah, thinking about that this week. That, yeah, you press on that number one because if you're pressing with your hands, you're the parts getting warm from your fingers mm. and it'll come out. So, you once you get in the ballpark, you need to switch over to a carrier like that. The beauty of the carrier is it can put that vector all the way down at the bottom and almost eliminate hmm. the um, uh, moment loading that's causing you to, you know, the part to tip in the direction you're moving. So doing that, then you can go that still very, very controlled. But that, yeah, that's you can't just think you're going to willy nilly take plates and do random stuff and not be <laughs> thinking intimately about every single detail that's going on. Yep. It, 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 there's a lot there. Once you get it, it's easy. It's it's well, it sounds it sounds like a lot of advanced
0: <laughs> a lot of advanced skills that in the beginning it uh, feels like you're just like tripping over your own feet, which is exactly where I am right now. <laughs> but uh but I'm starting to see I'm starting to see some of the effects that you're teaching and that is uh super valuable. And it is neither it will it will I promise it will neither be willy nor nilly go ahead tom this
1: this is a good example of um um an operation where keeping notes and observations is kind of important right and mm. uh um and i i think you've been doing some of that spencer and uh, i think i saw um, some reasonably methodical looking uh, uh <laughs> notes and whatnot <laughs> about it right mm. well no i mean I, i've got several notebooks that are full of stuff on this. Right. You know, my yeah. observations and what and like off to the side. It's like, why is it doing that? Right. The big question mark. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and then two pages later, aha, you know, here's, yeah, here's right. what happened. Right. You know, and uh, um, so that that's your feedback mechanism. And then going back through that, you know, and that's your your process. Right.
0: Um, I've I've that's often important. said that the the three most important words in science are Gee, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true, right? Yeah. Uh, it's true. Lots uh, let's let's uh, uh, knock off another question here. Oh, by the way, if, if uh, anybody requires a bio break, don't hesitate to uh, say the word and we'll 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 make it look seamless. Um <laughs> Has anybody, this is from Brandon Heinrich. Uh, He asks, has anybody been involved with uh, or have an interest in robot combat competition? Have you guys Mm -hmm. been been approached by any of these groups and done anything?
1: So uh, a friend of mine, um, he uh, taught at a, uh, uh, when I was in Benicia, he he taught at a high school uh, that wasn't too far away. And they had a, uh, a they had a first robotics team, which is uh, um, these kind of school uh, school teams and whatnot. And so they had a little uh, they had a little machine shop. So I used to volunteer a little bit. So that's kind of the extent of my. Uh, I would go in and help them with some parts. And um, you know, you think physicists are bad, hurting uh, cats, right? Hurting <laughs> high school kids that. Uh, <laughs> uh, have lots of crazy ideas is, uh, even more challenging, but, uh, um, no, I, I did, a I gave them a little talk on, um, uh, you know, I don't know, design philosophy and, and, and kind of project management because they have a fixed amount of time to do this work. Right. And, um, and, um, you know, one of my core beliefs is, uh, Overtime and and crash uh, all nighters are just poor planning, right? And but uh, <laughs> not always true. But
0: yeah, unfortunately for these kids, it's also sort of de rigueur. It's like this is how it's done. Yeah, yeah, and
1: they're 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 young, and um, um, you know, the older you get, the more you value time, right? And uh, but uh, um, so you know, did it do any good? I don't know. I I I. Wanted to uh, them to put a um, so basically I don't know what they had like six weeks or four weeks or I I can't remember now what the uh, the interval was but I I told my my friend that was the teacher and and, uh, I said you should just get a big digital clock that's counting down (laughs) right and just put it in the room right so when they're you know you know the, there's just some physical indicator that time is leaking away right and uh, um instead of you know waiting till a week before and this you know doing a week of all nighters to get the thing done and then not actually finishing either but anyway i don't know if it helped or
0: not <laughs> have you had any exposure to this uh, this stuff robin these first no. robotics kids none uh, our high school has a team uh and and there's another team at the, in the next town over, and my makerspace that I'm a member of, they have a room dedicated to one of the teams, and I, you know, poked my head in there last week and took a look at, you know, the mess. But uh, it, it's it's interesting how these kids learn engineering from this, and that's not neither positive nor negative, because it could be quite negative, as you're pointing out. Um, and then sometimes and this is just a minor commentary i i kind of sense that it it becomes a little political like like the parents that are helping or you know they start pushing things in directions oh
1: absolutely you know yeah absolutely it's uh you know it's a this particular school was actually it was a private high school and uh so there was some um uh, helicopter parents uh, that uh, were way 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 too invested right and um, instead of just letting their kids experiment and explore and learn right they uh, they wanted a, a particular outcome right and, yeah. uh, but and then in this you know I, I think some of the teams uh, in my experience some of the teams were not um, um what do i how do i want to put it uh you know to me it's about teaching the kids how to use the tools to make these things and whatnot but uh uh i had one team in particular uh um they were i don't know sponsored or the thought the leader of it worked for an aerospace company that was basically just making all the parts for the kids right and uh and to me, I didn't feel like that was in the spirit of of what the program was for was to mm. to teach the kids and and get them to put their hands on those materials and those tools and execute those things and and not so much about what they look like, right, but that whole exploration, right and yeah. um, instead of you know just ordering a sandwich and having it delivered to you, right and uh, uh, kind of a thing so i mean it's still a valuable program i think and it's it's a subject that kids are really interested in so uh that part's engaging still i think so mm.
0: uh, uh brandon had a second question he said uh, you've you've all heard the news and seen the results of uh of this uh chat gpt artificial intelligence engines yeah, Start, pretty starting cool, actually. <laughs> starting to become like accessible and usable and a little scary. He says, uh, "Any predictions on what AI could do for the future of machining, manufacturing, CNC programming, design, etc."
1: Mm. Yeah, well, if there was a way to feed. Uh, um, Parts into it and have them evaluated from a manufacturability standpoint, uh, and that doesn't seem like that far-fetched, right? I mean, uh, you know, Robin uh, has a, I would say, a kind of a limited customer base, right? He works primarily for just a couple people, right? Um, one of the things that I end up doing is. Uh, evaluating uh, parts for manufacturability from some of the designers and the engineering teams, right? And you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and the same mistakes that I saw made 40 years ago are still being made today, right? And um, Well,
0: well, when you have something effective, why change it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, why change it, right? So, um, um, but an AI system doesn't fall victim to that, right? Uh, necessarily, right? And uh, um, you know, it's so. Yeah, I don't know. I could I could see that uh, adding some benefit, right? You know, it's uh, um, so.
0: So what you're saying is, is that an AI system would have a perfect memory? whereas humans have imperfect. That's right.
1: Don't make that mistake again. Right. Hmm. And I mean, humans classically ignore history. Right. And uh, uh, pretty much across the board. Right. And that history could be, you know, engineering design or, uh, you know, um, by the way, don't attack that particular tribe because they're going to kick your butt. Right. And uh, right. I mean, so, you know, humans don't you know, we like to think we learn from history, but we kind of don't. <laughs> My observation, at least. So.
0: Have you had any exposure to this, uh, this new chat GPT stuff, uh, Robin, or seen any of it on the intertubes?
2: I, uh, I actually um, tried it out on laser settings. <laughs> and it, it actually came back with supply, surprisingly relevant content. Not yeah. didn't answer the questions. It wasn't stuff I didn't pretty much already know from my limited research. But I still I was surprised how how well it did for that. But that was that's the extent of my trial.
0: Yeah, I I, I listened to a bunch of podcasts and um, it seems like some people are getting programming done, you know, mm-hmm. like like Python code written by the gpt hey give me a give me a user interface so somebody can you know calculate a, pl- a prime number based on and the thing will s- just start spitting code out uh mm-hmm. which uh, by all reports is not perfect but it's spitting code out it's like that's nuts yeah. so uh, uh we will see um
1: uh, i uh i played around with it too i asked it some um what i thought um are you still signed up for it robin
2: i just did it i just did a free trial thing that that was there i haven't been back
1: so um uh, i asked it some real specific questions about sheet metal forming uh for example and it had some actually i would say legit responses right and uh, that were correct it 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 fumbled a little bit i asked it uh uh, a question about interpreting uh, interference bands um, on optical flats, right? Just as a, just kind of a random question, right? And um, it, now one of the things that you can do too, is you can actually provide feedback too. If the question was answered accurately, well, or just, you know, you can comment on the, on the thing, thumbs up or thumbs down or whatever, but it kind of missed uh, one of the the key points of of uh interpreting the bands right and uh but for the most part it was a pretty relevant response right and uh and then the other thing i had to do just for fun is uh i i uh, gave it an imaginary name i said uh okay uh, uh please write a positive performance review for spencer webb uh in the role as a mechanical engineer working on a, a project blah 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 right and it just immediately, you know, spit out <laughs> actually a pretty good performance review with the the right number of adjectives and positive uh, uh, upticks and whatnot. And uh, I said, "Heck, you know, that's my uh, my my side hustle for work now." <laughs> is uh, just send me a couple of details about said person, and uh, I'll fire you back a, a appropriate performance reviews. So. I,
0: I wondered why I got this text that said, who's this guy Tom Lipton <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> All right, no, well, it, it's a fun thing to play around with. It's kind of kind of interesting.. Yeah.
0: Uh, we are well over our time, which I'm very appreciative of. Uh, this is a great closing question. Uh, what would you do if you had a second life in the shop? What projects would you start that you wouldn't otherwise? And this, by the way, I I, I didn't tell you who this came from. This came from Mr. Uh, Chate Gaputta, Chat Chat GPT, Chat GPT is the guy who uh, sent this.
1: you know i don't know i mean uh, if i had a second lifetime or whatever honestly i'd probably do the same stuff right um but i don't know it's been probably more time with uh, certain people i think uh, that uh, were influence in my life i don't know um and um you know hard to, hard to say i i Honestly, I think I would probably do the same stuff. So if they said, "Hey, you get another, uh, you get another eighty years or whatever, keep going," right? Uh, I don't think I would change what I'm doing <laughs> uh, at all. Um, and um,
0: but uh, yeah, that's uh, a, that's a good uh, sign. Whatever. You know, that's a good sign, Tom, right? It means you're doing the right thing. How about you, Robin?
1: Well, no, you know, um, and I think Robin would agree, too, that I, I, I feel really lucky, right, that I kind of figured out what I was interested in, right, uh, pretty early on. And now, unlike Robin, I started in a, in a kind of a peripheral field, right? I, uh, um, I started in welding, and uh, that's kind of how I, you know, I learned how to weld when I was like nine or something like that and um and then as a kind of a natural progression of that a lot of the shops that that i ended up working in had machine shops so you start wandering over there and doing some of that work right and learning from those people and uh and then you know you you get involved right and and you get interested and you keep pursuing it right so um so yeah, that's that was how I was hatched, is in the in the welding in the welding shop. So, uh, um,
2: but
0: yeah, yeah, I don't think I, I wouldn't change much. <laughs> I wouldn't about, change much. How about you, Robin?
2: Uh, it with the premise of like Tom said, of uh, uh, given more years from where where I am right now, um, I would uh, probably say okay, you have to put your big boy pants on, and uh actually think of developing a business with employees to actually make all these ideas you have because it's going to take an army to 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 develop to to do all these things that are sellable you know useful ideas and um still not get out of the uh intimately involved because i if as soon as i was like a businessman instead of actually doing it it, that would be over. Uh, uh, I know'm I'm, I'm not really a businessman but the premise of uh, thinking more of actually running a business get get somebody to you know run a, a small shop to produce some of this stuff and um, not be such a wuss uh, just because it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. e- well it's easier to it's a whole lot easier just doing a just kind of a job shop environment. you get a drawing you, you send it out and you have a nice consistent you know flow of work usually. And that's one thing, but to um, step out and do a product line or something like that is another animal. So I'm I'm probably going to do that in a in a scaled down version of that. Now um, I'm I'm thinking of trying to attempting to switch gears and do more uh, product, or I'm I might even make precision ground stones.
0: Uh, I hear I hear it's a good business. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it's a it, it,
0: to be honest it's a it's a you know I've been I've been sort of a what do you call it a solopreneur or a you know one a one man shop for now for 25 years and that's a delicate balance between uh, I'm you know I'm interested in good at business or I'm interested in good at doing a thing and then finding that sweet spot. I don't, I don't claim to have been successful at it yet. Uh, but, you know, I look at people like, um, John Saunders who went from, you know, the, the, the Tormach in the, in the bedroom, uh-huh. um, doing, doing something for work that he wasn't enjoying. And then building this business, which has him going more and more away from the hands on into the business. But yet, he's also kind of turning that knob back and forth, trying to keep one hand in the shop, and one hand on the on the NBA. Yeah,
1: um, see, that's a that's a tricky thing to balance, right? And uh, and you know, I get asked that question pretty regularly: is why don't you start your own business? And my answer typically is, why would I want to do that and wreck what I have, right? And because um, um, you know, sure. The potential is, you know, if money is what you're interested in, the potential is certainly higher uh, having your own business, right? But, um, but it's at the expense, I think, uh, for me personally, of of, of less hands-on and le- and less of the creative part, right? That is the part that I really love and enjoy, right? And, um, uh, but I, you know, I'm not going to knock anybody for for starting their own business and, and looking for that potential. Right. That, there's lots of people that are deeply satisfied by doing that. Right. Cause they have control over the, over the whole process. Right. And I, you know, people have asked me, I, I, I want to start my own machine shop. And I go, well, why would you do that? And, uh, uh, you know, and to me, if, if, if they can't have that conversation, right. And, uh, uh, in the pros and cons of, of, of that kind of an operation, right. Um, then uh, then they're probably not mature enough to do that. Right. He, th- there, there is uh, 10,000 ways to die in the machine shop business for somebody just starting out. Right. And uh, it doesn't take much of a screw up to, uh, to bankrupt your company. Right. Especially when it's small and fragile. Right. So my experience is I see people that are technically awesome like robin right he's you know without a doubt technically excellent right is he a good businessman i don't know probably i mean he's he's feeding his family uh, uh, out of a 300 square foot uh, shop or whatever it is right mm-hmm. you know so yeah he's got some business acumen but when you throw employees and 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 some of those other things into the mix it rapidly becomes um challenging i'm, I'm not well, gonna say unpleasant it's also i'm not gonna say unpleasant but i'm gonna say challenging right it's also
0: two different things you know it's two ru- different things running a right. business and running a surface grinder right. <laughs> or or being a craftsman and running that's a business right. let's do it that way being a craftsman and running a business are totally different and that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you can't get the invoices out, your
1: business will die. Right. Even if you produce the the best technical work on the planet. Right. And and, uh, um, so, you you know, I have to tip my hat to John Saunders. Right. As he understands that and he 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 balances the books well. Right. He knows he's got to make money to keep his business alive. Right. And Mm -hmm. uh um, but he still wants to play in the shop too right and he's doing a pretty good juggling act there mm. and uh, one of the just, best
0: one of the best things i ever were, was uh suggested and i took it to heart was get a bookkeeper and i have a oh, bookkeeper yeah. and, and she's been with me now 11 years and i had a bookkeeper before her that was with me for four years so basically for about no it's been longer than that Anyway, it's been a long time and I have to know enough about the books and, and the banking and the stuff, but she does a great job of, of, of taking care of all the stuff that would just suck up my time and she does it in, in one tenth of the time that it would take me to do it. So that that for me has been a great expense right? to, to hire somebody who spends one full day a week here and that's it. And it's yeah. really been it's really been a good thing.
1: No, yeah, understanding what you're good at and uh, and uh, is important, and what your weaknesses are too, right? Mm. And uh, um, that's just as important, right?
0: Well, uh, we are coming down to the wire here. Um, anything uh, you guys want to bring up that uh, we haven't talked about?
1: No, well, uh, I'm just going to say I had fun. It's good to see Robin. I don't get to uh, talk to him as much uh, as as we used to. He used to uh, um, he would he would call me from the parking lot when he was uh, uh, his wife was visiting uh, her mom, <laughs> and uh, we would have these uh, yeah. we'd have these conversations while he was out in the car, right, waiting and uh, for her. And uh, um, but it's good to see you, Robin. And, yeah. And, Same here. Uh, yeah, now with kind of COVID calmed down a little bit and travel uh, easier, I I want to come out to the East Coast and visit some some of my friends out there and uh, and uh, and hang out a little bit. So uh, hey, uh, that.
0: Tom, my notes say uh, that you had a question about New Hampshire uh, power rates and my electric truck, which I don't think we 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 have time to get to. But you also had a question uh, for Robin about PI. Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, I saw
1: that there was a podcast on, uh, within tolerance about, uh, Dave Arneson and, mm-hmm. uh, professional instruments. Did you watch that? Yes. How, how was it? Was it any good or what?
2: Yeah, it was interesting. It was, it was pretty much his, his story of coming up and, you know, from the beginning and, uh, how they kind of got into that business, just doing difficult mm-hmm. stuff. And, uh, his, his father, I think, and grandfather uh, relative to, um yeah, you know, the whole progression of, of how that company got started is, is very interesting. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go watch it. I, I've noticed that they've actually been uh, trickling out videos uh, uh, reasonably regularly now. Mm-hmm. Right. And yep. uh, which is kind of encouraging. I don't know if they have some younger kids that are, that are kind of piloting that or whatever, but yeah, uh, they're pretty regularly uh popping videos Definitely. out now like
0: so. like little little reels yeah. right? right kind of short yep. videos yeah, yeah i saw the shorties yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: i saw one on on uh uh circularizing or spheris what's the word but some of their precision machines running which was pretty fascinating yeah.
2: and they, uh, they actually they actually covered uh, like when we saw the one, like uh, when I saw stuff being sold off from, from Precision Instruments, I'm like, what? You know, you think they're <laughs> going they call- down the tubes, but they actually mentions and they had four different shops and they realized condensing it into two made more sense. So that's where a lot of that auction oh, stuff okay. came from was just a downsize. There's still, nothing's happened with the demand for their product at all. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: okay. So on the topic of within tolerance, uh now, Tom, you were... No, Robin, you you were interviewed on with intolerance, right? You did your yeah, story. we both were. And Tom, yeah, I, you also.
1: I, think I did that too.
0: Yeah, it's been a okay. while. though. Yeah, it's, so so for our listeners or our viewers, uh, you can go back in the uh, library of with intolerance and find three interviews for these three faces in front of you, uh, all on the uh, on their library. And I, I think it was uh, Dylan does a great job uh, mm-hmm. of of yeah. interviewing. Yeah. Uh, and I'll never forget that uh, my love of, of Milano's uh, were in part <laughs> influenced by the precision with which they are manufactured.
2: The, the, the way they're manufactured now has no bearing to when I when I stopped. From
0: it. <laughs> I'm still going to eat them. I'm still eating them. Yeah. And uh, it's a weird, we're all connected in weird ways. And Tom, you're wearing a, a Mitch Rosen hat. Uh, yep. who's an, who's a uh a practical neighbor um so that's it's all pretty funny okay uh no, with... all right no go ahead
1: what were you gonna say no i was gonna say the the whole you know i like guess i said earlier you, you you've met we meet all these people through our our these areas that were crossing over one another and you know, I never would have met Robin, uh, if there was no internet. Right. Yep. I don't have much business in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Right. And, uh, um, and you know, I, I think of you guys as friends and, and, uh, people I can
0: call and ask questions or bounce ideas off of. And it's pretty, uh, pretty powerful stuff. So, yeah, it is. And, uh, I'll point out that once again, that Tom is in the, uh, in Northern California, mm-hmm. uh, Robin is in, I guess, is it Lancaster near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, yeah. Yeah. and I'm I'm in southern New Hampshire, so we are we're literally uh, crossing the crossing the country here.
1: So uh, Got... here's a here's a fun uh, final factoid before I sign off is Robin lives uh, near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and the uh, National uh, Watch and Clock Museum is like 20 minutes or 30 minutes from mm-hmm. him. And he's never been there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, the Well,
1: <laughs> we're going to close out with that. And, um, and I've got stop.
0: the, I've got the American precision museum up in Vermont, which is, you know, right over there. Uh, uh, uh-huh. Two hours. Uh, I've got the Waltham watch company museum right over there. You know, barely an hour. And I haven't right. been there either. And I'll make it. I'll give. I'll make you guys an offer. If you get. If you come into my neighborhood, okay, uh, I will with with the help of uh, one of our buddies who's in the chat. I think we'll get you guys a, a tour of MIT um, and some uh, of the fun stuff down there.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, Robin. If I come out to Pennsylvania uh, this year or whenever uh,
0: we're going to, we'll go together. Okay. Okay. uh,
2: Sounds, sounds (laughs) like a winner. Yeah. All
0: right. If you, if you, I gotta go. All right, guys, thank you so much. Thank you everybody for being here. Uh, Tom, thanks a lot. Robin. Thanks a lot. Uh, We'll see you guys next Sunday for another PFG live. All right.
1: Peace.